hello, hello, hello. Uh, welcome to another uh, episode of the, the, the midweek episode of Down the Rabbit Hole. Um, obviously, you've got me, Brandon, today. Um, I want to, before we start, I want to thank all of you listeners for coming back every week listening. Um, thank you to uh, Fringe Radio Network for putting us on the air um, and supporting us. Um, thank you, everybody. So without all you, we'd probably still do this because we like it, but um, it makes it feel like we're actually doing stuff. And if you want to hear something specific, let us know. We love hearing from the listeners and everyone on specific items that they want to hear. Um, so as promised, today I'm going to kind of go down the, the manifesto. I've been trying to figure out how I want to do this because it's a 54-page manifesto. It's 35,000 words. Um, it's huge. So, I mean, I thought about reading the whole thing, but that's going to take hours. Um, I think what I'm going to do is I'm only going to go through the first how many ever pages I kind of get through um, on this episode. If you want to hear more, let me know, and I'll kind of decide on where I'm at when we finish and figure if I want to do more. But the first part of this really does kind of cover the gist of what he was saying through the whole thing. Um yeah, so I'm going to go through and kind of talk about it and I mean really look into what he was saying. And like I said, you really want to have an interesting thing. Send this to a friend. Um, not tell them, Don't tell them what it is. Just send it to them and let them listen to this. Or not listen to this, but read this, uh, the, the manifesto, and ask them what their thoughts are. So, and as we go through, I'm going to tell you when I'm reading it and then I'll, I'll bust off into, you know talking about what we just read and all that kind of stuff and kind of break down a little bit of what the, this is. So... I'm going to start off here with the, the introduction to it. Um, and the one thing I'm going to say here is, like I said before, I don't, I do not in any way, and I shouldn't even have to say this, but in any way do I agree with Ted Kaczynski's actions. Um, his actions were reprehensible. Uh, you don't blow people up, um, especially innocent people. You don't blow people up to get your point across. But what he says in the manifesto, if he just said this without killing people, that's the tough one, though. If he did this without killing people, we never see this. This would have been a side note that went into some publication somewhere, but it would not have been in the Washington Post. It wouldn't have been something that we're talking about today. You, you, nobody would have ever seen this. It would just would have been the ramblings of a lunatic. Um, but in all reality, I, I, he makes sense. And we'll talk about that now. A lot of people, too, and this is where a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, I agree with Ted Kaczynski's views, but not what he did. But they're just going off the views of what they think he, he meant without reading the manifesto. They think they're just talking about, like, environmentalism and all that kind of stuff. He was against technology, and he was very much about the environment. But I don't know if a lot of people think and understand what his real views were. Because um, most people that'll be like, oh yeah, I kind of agree with him, but you know, I don't agree with his actions, are going to be people on the left. And um, he hated the left, which we'll get into and we'll talk about. I mean, he rambles for pages and pages about how much he doesn't like the left. And he doesn't like what they do and the problems with the left, the leftish. Um, and for the, the conservatives, he basically has like one sentence, I think I found, where he says something about the, the – but he dismisses them in like one sentence. It's not that he's saying he agrees with them. He pretty much says they're fools. And that's it and just dismisses them in one sentence um, and then really goes deep dive into how much he thinks the leftish are, are just messing everything up. So we'll go through it. I'm going to read the introduction um, part of it, and then we'll get into the, the rest of it. So this is straight from his manifesto. So 
The Industrial Revolution and its consequences have been a disaster for the human race. They have greatly increased the life expectancy of those of us who live in advanced countries, but they have destabilized society, have made life unfulfilling, have subjected human beings to indignities, have led to widespread psychological suffering, and the third world to physical suffering as well, and have inflicted severe damage on the natural world. The continued development of technology will worsen the situation. It will certainly subject human beings to greater indignities and inflict greater damage on the natural world. It will probably lead to greater social disruption and psychological suffering, and it may lead to increased physical suffering even in advanced countries. The industrial technological system may survive or it may break down. If it survives, it may eventually achieve a low level of physical and psychological suffering, but only after passing through a long and very painful period of adjustment, and only at the cost of permanently reducing human beings and many other living organisms to engineered products and mere cogs in the social machine. Furthermore, if the system survives, the consequences will be inevitable. There is no way of reforming or modifying the system so as to prevent it from depriving people of dignity and autonomy. Now, if you really think about what he's saying, this is in 1995 is when the, he wrote this, or when it was published. It was in September 22nd of 1995. Um, think about that, that last statement. There's no way of reforming or modifying the system so as to prevent it from depriving people of dignity and autonomy. How have we seen that now? Social media. All of these things that we have now that weren't, didn't exist back then. They barely had internet in 95. And now he's basically pointing out exactly what's, what's happening now. People have no dignity and no autonomy. So, if the system breaks down, the consequences will start, still be very painful. But the bigger the system grows, the more disastrous the result of its breakdown would, will be. So, if it is to break down, it had best break down sooner rather than later. Which, if we really think about, um, you go back to 1995 when he wrote this. If we would have lost internet and technology would have stopped there, it would have sucked. But it wouldn't be what it is now. I mean, think about it. If we lost internet, lost our cell phones, lost all of that, most people in this world can't survive. Most people can't find something. If you hand someone a book, a map book, I have multiples of them um, just for fun that I, I have because that's what I used to have to do to get around. I mean, people talk about how they remember, oh, we'd print out, you know, look things up on MapQuest and then print out and have to follow the, the, the notes from MapQuest and drive it. I remember just having a book called The Thomas Guide that had maps in it and I followed that. And had to figure out where I was in the map book, everything else, so I could figure out where to go. I would say a large portion of advanced, you know, countries and advanced societies, people can't do that anymore. I mean, now that's considered an adventure race. They hand you a map and say, go find this. Um, yeah, so I mean, he's, he's got some points there that if it would have broke down then, it would have been a lot easier to deal with. So, okay, back to it. We therefore advocate a revolution, which he says we a lot because this was supposed to be a group. Remember, it was supposed to be Freedom Club, which he was the only one. So when he says we, he's talking about Freedom Club, or, and so which is just him. So um, back to it. We therefore advocate a revolution against the industrial system. This revolution may or not make, uh, make use of violence. 
which he says that after they've already made use of violence. It may be sudden or it may be a relatively gradual process spanning a few decades. We can't predict any of that, but we do outline a very general way the measures that those who hate the industrial system should take in order to prepare the way for a revolution against the form, that form of society. This is not to be a political revolution. Its object will be to overthrow not governments, but the economic and technological basis of the present society. So that's the introduction. I mean, for the most part. Um, so he has some points there. Where, I mean, it's one of those things that as technology grows and as it gets more and more, we become more reliant on it. And then if we lose it, it's going to hurt more the more we're reliant on it. So the more we use it. So some good points there, I mean, in, the, in that beginning. So now we're going to go into the next part of this, which is the psychology of modern leftism. And like I said, he goes for a long time, pretty much this whole thing, probably today, it may just be us talking about how much he hates the left. So, and we will talk about his, his views on that. And I'm going to read some of it, like I said, and then we will, you know, discuss it. So, almost everyone will agree that we live in a deeply troubled society. One of the most widespread manifestations of the craziness of our world is leftism. So a discussion of the psychology of leftism can serve as an introduction to the discussion of the problems of modern society in general. But what is leftism? During the first half of the 20th century, leftism could have been practically identified with socialism. Today the movement is fragmented and is not clear who can properly be called a leftist. When we speak of leftists in this article, we have in mind mainly socialists, collectivists, politically correct types, feminists, um, gay and disability activists, animal rights activists, and the like. But not everyone who is associated with one of these movements is a leftist. What we are trying to get at in discussing leftism is not so much movement or an ideology as a psychological type, or rather a collection of related types. Thus, what we mean by leftism will emerge more clearly in, course, in the course of our discussion by leftist psychology. So he goes, very interestingly, um, kind of describes leftism, but then not really. So, uh, so he goes further into it. Even so, our conception of leftism will remain a good deal less clear than we would wish, but there doesn't seem to be any remedy for this. All we are trying to do here is indicate in a rough approximate way the two psychological tendencies that we believe are the main driving force of modern leftism. We by no means claim to be telling the whole truth about leftist psychology. Also, our discussion is meant to apply to modern leftism only. We leave open the question of the extent to which our discussion will, could be applied to the leftists of the 19th and early 20th centuries. The two psychological tendencies that underlie modern leftism we call feelings of inferiority and over-socialization. Feelings of infer inferiority are characteristic of modern leftism as a whole, while over-socialization is characteristic only of a certain segment of modern leftism, but this segment is highly influential. So it's kind of one of those things like he's saying is, this is their definition of leftism. Um, there, there's some of it as we go through um, that I, I'll be honest, I don't completely agree with on leftist. Um, and some of the things I'm going to say as we're reading through this, I'm not going to sugarcoat what he says. I know a lot of people, I read some that, you know, censored some of the stuff that might be, you know, 
which is funny. They censored it basically to make it politically correct, which is one of the things that he talks about being part of leftism um, is political correctness. So he does have a few things in here that he'll say that may be considered problematic and triggering to some people. So um, if that's you, you may not want to continue listening because I'm going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat what he's saying. I'm going to read what he says. We'll talk about it. But just saying, I'm going to read what he wrote here. Um, and like I said, I don't agree with everything that he wrote. I'm just going to say he made some decent points. Um, but we will go through that. So the next we'll talk about, like I said, there's the two types. We'll talk about both of those um, as he goes here. Um, the first one, which he talks quite a bit about, is the feelings of inferiority. Um, and that one, he goes quite a bit, quite a bit on inferiority. So, um, and we'll talk about that and then we'll go into that other part of the over-socialization. So, by feelings of inferiority, we mean not only inferiority, feelings in the strict sense, but a whole spectrum of related traits. Low self-esteem, feelings of powerlessness, powerlessness depressive tendencies, defeatism, guilt, self-hatred, etc. We argue that modern leftists tend to have so much, so, some such feelings, possibly more or less repressed, and that these feelings are very are decisive in determining the direction of modern leftism. Um, all traits that people talk about having all the time now. So, when someone interprets as derogatory almost anything that is said about him or about groups with whom he identifies, we conclude that he has inferiority feelings or low self-esteem. This tendency is pronounced among minority rights activists, whether or not they belong to the minority groups whose rights they defend. They're hypersensitive about the words used to designate minorities and about anything that is said concerning minorities. The terms Negro, Oriental, Handicapped, or Chick for an African, an Asian, or a disabled person, or a woman originally had no derogatory connotation. Broad and Chick were merely the feminine equivalents of guy, dude, or fellow. Which, in a lot of ways, is very true. Um, it's There's a lot of words that have taken different meanings. Um, the word gay just meant happy. That's really what the actual definition of the word gay is. Um, somehow it got associated with, you know, homosexuality. And basically now it is a, a, a trigger word that we're not supposed to use anymore. Um, same thing happened with a lot of these words. Um, and they were used in ways that could be considered, you know negative but so's dude like that dude sucks you know stuff like that i mean it, it's it's how we take the words the biggest thing comment there though is that everything so when someone interprets as derogatory almost anything that is said about him or about groups with whom he identifies how many people do we see like that that no matter what you say about a group you, you're it's negative everything they're waiting to be upset they're waiting to react to you because they want to be upset. Not only on the left, but I see it on the right as well. I see it in both. I see it in the middle. I see many people, and it seems to be a very normal thing now for us to basically have that reaction of, oh, I'm, I'm going to be upset because you said something about something that means something to me. So, so back to what he said. The negative connotations have been attached to these terms by the activists themselves. Some animal rights activists have gone so far as to reject the word pet and insist on its replacement by animal companion. Leftish anthropologists go to great lengths to avoid saying anything about primitive, people, primitive peoples that could conceivably, conceivably be interpreted as negative. 
They want to replace the word primitive by non-literate. They seem almost paranoid about anything that might suggest that any primary primitive culture is inferior to our own. We do not mean to imply that primitive cultures are inferior to ours. We merely point out the hypersensitivity of leftist anthropologists. So that's another statement there where even he's pointing out and he's he even in his manifesto, he's even stepping back and saying, hey, we're not saying they're inferior at all. We're just saying this is the belief that, you know, we feel that um, these leftish anthropologists have. It's like right now. I mean, I'll, I, I do a lot of stuff in Seattle all the time. Um, you're not supposed to say homeless anymore in Seattle. It's non-housed or unhoused because we're not supposed to say it in a way that makes it sound like they're inferior to us, which not saying they are inferior to us, but I always figured homeless was kind of self-explanatory that they don't have a home, but unhoused is the correct word to use now. All right, back to what he was saying. Those who are most sensitive about politically incorrect terminology are not the average black ghetto dweller, Asian immigrant, abused woman, or disabled person, but a minority of activists, many of whom do not even belong to any oppressed group, but come from privileged strata, strata of society. Political correctness has a stronghold among university professors who have secure employment with comfortable salaries, and the majority of whom are heterosexual white males from middle to upper middle class families. We see that even more and more today. We're actually seeing it seems to be leaning more towards white females that are more that way. But we're seeing that where it's people, a lot of the people that have the politically correct you know, meltdowns that you need to be politically correct and do this this way are people who have nothing to do with those minorities. Um, a lot of times it's interesting. I've seen some of the minorities where they're even like, they've been corrected by somebody like, you can't say that. It's offensive. And it's like, I'm talking about myself. So, um, yeah, it's very interesting to see kind of how that is. It's somebody who, I think Brad Williams says it's, be says it's best. It's like, who are you to get upset for me? It's like, what are you saying about me? I'm not good enough to be upset for myself that I'm too stupid to understand that I should be upset. Um, and he gets really, really upset about that. And if you don't know who Brad Williams is, he's a comedian that's a, a little person. Or as he even says, it, he's a midget. So um, that's the way he says it. Um, all right. Back to the, the what he was saying. Many leftists have an intense identification with the problems of groups that have an Im image of being weak in their minds. Women, or so, of being weak. Women, defeated American Indians, repellent homosexuals, or otherwise inferior. The leftists themselves feel that these groups are inferior. They would never admit to themselves that they have such feelings, but it's precisely because they do see these groups as inferior that they identify with their problems. We do not mean to suggest that women, Indians, etc. are inferior. We're only making a point about leftist psychology. So, once again, that's what he's saying, is that it's not that we think that really it comes down to that the leftists' brain thinks that these classes of people are inferior. Um, and that's why they have feel like they have to protect them. It's kind of like a parent. We protect our children because we don't think they can do it themselves yet. So it's the same thing with these groups. They, they want to protect these groups because they feel they're inferior. So... All right, uh, continue on with his, you know, the manifesto. Uh, feminists are desperately anxious to prove that women are as strong and as capable as men. 
Clearly, they are nagged by fear that women may not be as strong and as capable as men. Leftists tend to hate anything that has an image, image of being strong, good, and successful. They hate America. They hate Western civilization. They hate white males. They hate rationality. The reasons that leftists give, hate, give for hating the West, etc., clearly do not correspond with their real motives. They say they hate the West because it is warlike, imperialistic, sexist, ethnocentric, and so forth. But where these same faults appear in socialist countries or in primitive culture, the leftist finds excuses for them, or at best he grudgingly admits that they exist. Whereas he enthusiastically points out, and often greatly exaggerates, these faults where they appear in Western civilization. Thus it is clear that these faults are not the leftist's real motive for hating America and the West. He hates America and the West because they are strong and successful. Where have we seen that in different things? Um, the biggest one, I mean, I, I will say right now, and I know it's a controversial one, guns. Um, there, there's a huge focus right now. You can't turn on the news without hearing about a shooting. But they act like it only happens here. Um, but then when it happens in other places, like right now, I mean, you know, we have countries at war where there's probably more people being killed by guns because it's a war, but they, it, it's a war, so it's okay. Um, here we don't have a war going on, but do we? I mean, I think in a lot of ways we have more of a war going on right now than many people want to admit. Um, it's an us first them mentality, and that's what's becoming the big problem. Um, and I feel like our government and the leftists... Um, that he's explaining here. And I don't mean leftists. Isn't this one thing too? Is I don't mean Democrats, Republicans, stuff like that. I'm, we're talking leftish as he's saying here. These people, whether you want to call them leftish or whatever, but these people exist. We know they exist. We've seen them. Look at what's happened over the last three years. Since 2020. BLM. All those things. Right here. And what he's saying in 1995. He... he he didn't predict this. I don't want to say he predicted it. He's not Nostradamus or anything like that. He's not some great, you know, whatever Merlin or anything like that. I think he just saw the patterns and saw where this was going. So, and back to what he's saying. Words like self-confidence, self-reliance, initiative, enterprise, optimism, etc. play little role in the liberal and leftist vocabulary. The leftist is anti-individualistic, pro-collectivist, he wants society to solve everyone's problems for them, satisfy, satisfy everyone's needs for them, take care of them. He's not the sort of person who has an inner sense of confidence in his ability to solve his own problems and satisfy his own needs. The leftist is antagonistic to the concept of competition because deep inside, he feels like a loser. Art forms that appeal to modern leftish intellectuals tend to focus on sordidness, defeat, and despair, or else they take an orgiastic tone throwing off rational control as if they were no hope there were no hope of accomplishing anything through rational calculation and all that was left was to immerse oneself in the sensations of the moment so does not want individuals they want everyone to be the same they want socialism so, and we've seen that. We're seeing it more and more all the time. And like I said, what's amazing, he wrote this in 1995. I mean, up to, I mean, of course, it was pr printed in 1995. So he'd been writing it up to that point. But the things he was seeing then compared to what's happening now is the scariest part, I think, to all this. So, 
All right, back to what he was saying. Modern leftist philosophers tend to dismiss reason, science, objectivity, reality, and to insist that everything is culturally relative. It is true that one can ask serious questions about the foundations of scientific knowledge and about how, if at all, the concept of objective reality can be defined. But it is obvious that modern leftist philosophers are not simply cool-headed logicians uh, systematically analyzing, analyzing the foundations of knowledge. They are deeply involved emotionally in their attack on truth and reality. They attack these concepts because of their own psychological needs. For one thing, their attack is an outlet for hostility, and to the extent that it is successful, it satisfies the drive for power. More importantly, the leftist, leftist hates science and rationality because they classify certain beliefs as true, i.e. successful, superior, and other beliefs as false false i.e. failed inferior the leftist feeling of inf in feelings of inferiority run so deep that he cannot tolerate any classification of some things as successful or superior and other things as failed or inferior this also underlies a rejection by many leftists of the concept of mental illness and of the ut utility of iq tests Leftists are antagonistic to genetic, genetic explanations of human abilities or behavior because such explanations tend to make some persons appear superior or inferior to others. Leftists prefer to give society the credit or blame for an individual ability or lack of it. Thus, if a person is inferior, it is not his fault, but society's, because he has not been brought up properly. So once again, back to everything is on society, everyone needs to be the same, and everything else. Um, and that's the part that scares me the most. I mean, they want everything to be the same. They don't want us to have individuals. They don't want us to have individual thoughts, individual beliefs, anything like that. You're supposed to believe what everyone believes. You're supposed to believe all the same. And that's where it's becoming more and more scary to see all this. Um, and there's been other writers that have talked about this um, and other things that people have seen this this idea coming. Um, so, I mean, it's not new. There's been stories that I've read um, before of other people talking about these things. So, but, um, yeah. So we'll continue on in what he says. So the leftist is not typically the kind of person whose feelings of inferiority make him a braggart, an egotist, a bully, a self-promoter, a ruthless competitor. This kind of person has not wholly lost faith in himself. He has a deficit in his sense of power and self-worth, but he can still conceive of himself as having the capacity to be strong and his efforts to make himself strong produces unpleasant behavior. But the leftist is too far gone for that. His feelings of inferiority are so ingrained that he cannot conceive of himself as individually strong and valuable. Hence the collectivism of the leftist. He can feel strong only as a member of a large organization or mass movement with which he identifies himself. How often do we see that? Where people, you know, suddenly become... Uh, more powerful in a group we see it um in 
Black Lives Matter. We see it in all these other groups where people get together and they start doing things where as a person they were, you know, which in a group, and that's the whole idea of a group. We are stronger in a group, but that group mentality kicks in and suddenly people want to just go with what they're saying. So back into what he was saying. Notice the masochistic tendency of leftist tactics. Leftists protest by lying down in front of vehicles. They intentionally provoke police or racists to abuse them, etc. These tactics may often be effective, but many leftists use them not as a means to an end, but because they prefer masochistic tactics. Self-hatred is a leftist trait. So they're saying basically they're going through all this stuff to get beat because they prefer masochism. So, um, but you see that a lot. How many times have we seen stuff where people have done things to provoke somebody else to come at them and then all of a sudden now they can lose it and be like, oh, look what they did to me. Look what they did. Um, you, you, you pushed them to that. You got in their face. You did things. You pushed them to it um, quite often. Um, look at like, you know, a lot of the BLM where they, they talked about how, you know, they were attacked. Um, and everything like that. And the police did this and the police did that. But then you watch the videos and everything else and you see before the police did anything, you know, bottles come flying in, hitting the police in the head and rocks and other things. And it's like somebody, it may not have been you personally, but somebody antagonized the police to get them to do that. Um, is it correct? No, it's not. And I'm not saying that what the police did was right or wrong or whatever. We're not going to go into that argument right now because I don't want to. But that is, you see that in a lot of things in a lot of different places where they do things and push people, antagonize people, and then play victim. We see it quite often, um, which, I mean, he talks about right here was a tactic, you know, uh, that he mentions all the way back in 1995. So, all right, so we'll continue with this a little bit more. Uh, leftists may claim that their activism is motivated by compassion or by moral principles. And moral principle does play a role for the leftists of the over-socialized type. But compassion and moral principle cannot be the main motives for leftist activism. Hostility is too prominent a component of leftist behavior. So is the drive for power. Moreover, much leftist behavior is not rationally calculated to be a benefit to the people whom the leftists claim to be trying to help. For example, if one believes that affirmative, affirmative, affirmative action is good for black people, does it make sense to demand affirmative action, affirmative action in hostile, dogmatic terms? Obviously, it would be more productive to take a diplomatic and conciliatory approach that would make at least verbal and symbolic concessions to white people who think that affirmative action discriminates against them. But leftist activists do not take such an approach because it would not satisfy their emotional needs. Helping black people is not their real goal. Instead, race problems serve as an excuse for them to express their own hostility and, and frustrated need for power. In doing so, they actually harm black people because the activists' hostile attitude towards the white majority tends to intensify race hatred. So, and this is something we're seeing quite a bit, and we're seeing this in a lot of things, um, and where we're seeing the divide now, bigger and bigger between the right and the left, is because of stuff like this, where instead of doing things in a diplomatic matter, both sides do this, they basically make it a combat, and then now it is an us first them, because that's what they want. They want an us first them, because if we're fighting each other, we can't fight them. 
So back to what he was saying. If our society had no social problems at all, the leftists would have to invent problems in order to provide themselves with an excuse for making a fuss. Never seen that happen. We emphasize that the foregoing does not pretend to be an accurate description of everyone who might be considered a leftist. It is only a rough indication of a general tendency of leftism. So that's one version of the leftism that he talks about, which, I mean, we see all of it. We're seeing it in different groups. We're seeing it, you know, I, I mentioned BLM a couple times just because it's right, at, you know, just happened, everything like that, which, I mean, it was a huge thing for quite a while and then suddenly disappeared. I mean, when's the last time you ever even really heard anything about them? You really don't. Um, and, and we get that, where you get these that come out of nowhere, and then all of a sudden they fade away as quick as they, as they started. So, and we're seeing that more and more. So, all right, we'll continue on to the next part, the next category of leftists that he talks about. So, over-socialization. So, so, psychologists use the term socialization to designate the process by which children are trained to think and act as society demands. A person is said to be well socialized if he believes in and obeys the moral code of his society and fits in well as a functioning part of that society. It may seem senseless to say that many leftists are over socialized, since the leftist is perceived as a rebel. Nevertheless, the position can be defended. Many leftists are not much such rebels as they seem. The moral code of our society is so demanding that no one can think, feel, and act in a completely moral way. For example, we are not supposed to hate anyone, yet almost everyone hates somebody at some time or other, whether he admits it to himself or not. Some people are so highly socialized that the attempt to think, feel, and act morally imposes a severe burden on them. In order to avoid feelings of guilt, they continually have to deceive themselves about their own motives and find moral explanations for feelings and actions that in reality have a non-moral origin. We use the term over-socialized to describe such people. Over-socialization can lead to self-esteem, or low self-esteem, a sense of powerlessness, defeatism, guilt, etc. One of the most important means by which our society socializes children is by making them feel ashamed of behavior or speech that is contrary to society's expectations. Where do we see that happen? All the time. How many words are bad? And depending on what society you're in. There, there's words that in England mean nothing. That if you say them over here, people lose their minds. So, it really, I mean, it's putting meaning into words that doesn't exist. It's only there because your brain puts that meaning there. So, and back to what he said, if this is overdone, or if a particular child is especially susceptible to such feelings, he ends up being, by feeling ashamed of himself. Moreover, the thought and the behavior of the over-socialized person are more restricted by society's expectations than are those of those, of the lightly socialized person. The majority of people engage in a significant amount of naughty behavior. They lie, they commit petty thefts, they break traffic laws, they goof off at work, they hate someone, they say spiteful things, or they use some underhanded trick to get ahead of the other guy. The over-socialized person cannot do these things, or if he does do them, he generates in himself a sense of shame and self-hatred. The over-socialized person cannot even experience without guilt thoughts or feelings that are contrary to the accepted morality. He cannot think unclean thoughts. And socialization is not just a matter of morality. We are socialized to conform to many norms of behavior that do not fall under the heading of morality. 
Thus, the over-socialized person is kept on a psychological leash and spends his life running on rails that society has laid down for him. In many over-socialized people, this results in a sense of constraint and powerlessness that can be a, a severe hardship. We suggest that over-socialization is among the more serious cruelties that human beings inflict on one another. We argue that a very important influential segment of the modern left is over-socialized and their over-socialization is of great importance in determining the direction of modern leftism. Leftists of the over-socialized type tend to be intellectuals or members of the upper middle class. Notice that university intellectuals constitute the most highly socialized segment of our society and also the most left-wing segment. The leftist of the over-socialized type tries to get off his psychological leash and assert his autonomy by rebelling, but usually he's not strong enough to rebel against the most basic values of society. Generally speaking, the goals of today's leftists are not in conflict with the accepted morality. On the contrary, the left takes an accepted moral principle, adopts it as its own, and then accuses mainstream society of violating that principle. Examples, racial equality, equality of the sexes, and helping poor people. Peace as opposed to war, nonviolence generally, freedom of expression, kindness to animals, more fundamentally the duty of the individual to serve society and the duty of society to take care of the individual. All these have been deeply rooted values of our society, or at least of its middle and upper classes, for a long time. These values are explicitly or implicitly expressed or presupposed in most of the material presented to us by the mainstream communications media and the educational system. Leftists especially, those of the over-socialized type, usually do not rebel against these principles, but justify their hostility to society by claiming, with some degree of truth, that society is not living up to these principles. And how often do we see that now? We're seeing that more now. We talk about it all the time um, on episodes, me and Big D both, about media and propaganda and everything else. This is just another example of that. It's propaganda, them using that to over-socialize people to believe that they have to do things a certain way. And if they don't, they're not doing it correctly and they're going against society. Um, and then if you're not doing it correctly, you're going against society and you're the enemy. Big... We see that constantly. And how much more and more are we seeing that in schools now with them deciding what our kids should read and shouldn't read, what they should watch and shouldn't watch, and everything else on both sides. I'm not saying just the left. This is also happening on the right. This is the biggest thing that I got to say in all reality, reading this, what he talks about being the leftist, um, in many ways, I see it on both sides. We're seeing this tactics that he's using in both of these descriptions of the leftists, not just on the quote-unquote left. We're seeing it on the right as well. We're seeing it done in two different ways, two different ends of the spectrum. Same mirror image, just different outcomes, and both of them trying to do different things. Um, so we're seeing this in both ways, that they're trying to indoctrinate on both sides, uh, which is very interesting to me. To see where here he's basically focusing on it just being the left. And what I see personally is I see this on both sides. I see this on the left and the right both doing these things. Alright, so back to what he was saying. Here's an illustration of the way in which the over-socialized leftist shows his real attachment to the conventional attitudes of our society while pretending to be in rebellion against it. 
Many leftists push for affirmative action, for moving black people into high-prestige jobs, for improved ed- education in black schools, and more money for such schools. The way of life of the black underclass they regard as a social disgrace. They want to integrate the black man in the system, make him a business executive, a lawyer, a scientist, just like upper middle class white people. The leftists will reply that the last thing they want is to make the black man into a copy of the white man. Instead, they want to preserve African American culture. But in what does this preservation of African American culture cons- consist? It can hardly consist in anything more than eating black style food, listening to black style music, wearing black style clothing, going to a black style church or mosque. In other words, it can express itself only in superficial matters. In all essential respects, most leftists of the over socialized type want to make the black man conform to white middle class ideals. They want to make him study technical subjects, become an executive or a scientist, spend his life climbing the status ladder to prove that black people are as good as white. They want to make black fathers responsible. They want black gangs to become nonviolent, etc. But these are exactly the values of the industrial technological system. The system couldn't care less what kind of music a man listens to, what kind of clothes he wears, or what religion he belongs in, as long as he studies in school, holds a respectable job, climbs a status ladder, is a responsible parent, is nonviolent, and so forth. In effect, however much he may deny it, the over-socialized leftist wants to integrate the black man into the system and make him adopt its values. So, in a way, what he's saying is basically by trying to do, you know, affirmative action, which, I mean, I'm for, you know, in many ways. But he's also saying that he's you're taking their culture away from them and trying to make them into us. Um It sounds like a white man thing that they've done for a long time. Um, I mean, (laughs) think of the Mormons. The Mormons once believed that if you prayed hard enough, you can make a Native American white. So, and if you're Mormon and you don't believe me, go look it up. They really actually said that. All right, back to what he said. We certainly do not claim that leftists, even of the over-socialized type, never rebel against the fundamental values of our society. Clearly, they sometimes do. Some over-socialized leftists have gone so far as to rebel against one of modern society's most important principles by engaging in physical violence. By their own account, violence is, for them, a form of liberation. In other words, by committing violence, they break through the psychological strengths that have been trained into them. Because they are over-socialized, these restraints have been more confined for them than for others. Hence their need to break free of them. But they usually justify their rebellion in terms of mainstream values. If they engage in violence, they claim to be fighting against racism or the like. We realize that many objections could be raised to the foregoing thumbnail sketch of leftist psychology. The real situation is complex, and anything like a complete description of it would take several volumes, even if the necessary data were available. We claim only to have indicated very roughly the two most important tendencies in the psychology of modern leftism. The problems of the leftists are indicative of the problems of our society as a whole. Low self-esteem, depressive tendencies, and defeatism are not restricted to the left, though they are especially noticeable in the left. They are widespread in our society, and today's society tries to socialize us to a great extent than any previous society. We have been told by experts how to eat, how to exercise, how to make love, how to raise our kids, and so forth. Which, once again, this is 1995 where he's saying this. Where have we seen this become more and more common? They're telling us even more. I mean, there's apps that tell you when to eat, how to eat, how to exercise, when to exercise, how to make love, who to make love with, what you're supposed to do, 
how to raise your kids and so forth. Even now, more and more, they're telling us with rules and laws even, trying to tell us what we can and can't do with our kids. What is child abuse and what isn't? You know, when I was growing up, it was not unheard of to get the stitch or the, the switch. Which, if you're too young to know what the switch is, that's pretty much when they sent you out to go find the own the stick that they were going to beat you with. I guess beat isn't the right word. They were going to beat your ass. They were going to spank you with. That's what you're going to get for punishment. Now, um, a lot of states are considering it punishment if you don't allow your child to have gender reassignment. If they chose, feel like that that's what they want. Before they're even ready to, to make that decision. I mean, you, you can't make the decision to have a tattoo until you're over 18. To permanently modify your body with a tattoo. But you can permanently modify it that way. I'm not saying that it shouldn't happen. But I feel like they, that we should wait till the, the, they're older and can make those decisions. So... But that's where we're at in our society. I mean, we're looking at all this stuff that he said in 1995 and seeing how it portrays to what's happening now. And I mean, we're only out of 54 pages that I printed. We're, we're on page seven right now. There's so much information in here um, that goes into so many different things. But this is really what it comes down to. He had a problem with technology and where technology was taking us and where it was going to be and as we go through this there's even more in here where he talks like in depth about how we were pretty much describes what social media is going to look like and what it's going to be um it's one of those things like i said if you have a chance i mean you can find this go online print it out get it download it read it let me know um we're at a spot now where it's probably a good breaking point um, before we continue on. Um, so I think I'm going to take a break away from this. Uh, let me know if you want me to continue. I'll continue and I'll go through this entire thing um, piece by piece and break it down to, to what he said. Um, this is just a taste of it. He, what Ted Kaczynski did, there's no ifs, ands, or buts, was wrong. His tactics of going about it were wrong. We can all agree on that. There's no argument for me. You're not going to... There's no way I'm ever going to agree that blowing people up was the right answer because it wasn't. It never was. Never will be. But some of the views that he had and some of the other things he said make sense. They really do. Um, he really had our number on where we were heading society-wise um, with technology and what technology was going to turn us into. Um I mean, I'll do one last part real quick before I, before I go. Um, this is the power process because it's less than a page, but it, it has some good information. So human beings have a need, probably based in biology, for something that we will call the power process. This is closely related to the need for power, which is widely recognized, but it's not quite the same thing. The power process has four elements. The three most clear cut of these we call goal, effort, and attainment of goal. Everyone needs to have goals whose attainment requires effort and needs to succeed in attaining at least some of his goals. The fourth element is more difficult to define and may not be necessary for everyone. We call it autonomy and we'll discuss it later, like paragraphs 42 and 44, um, which all of these are paragraphs. We're on paragraph 33. So 
Consider the hypothetical case of a man who can have anything he wants just by wishing for it. Such a man has power, but he will develop serious psychological problems. At first, he will have a lot of fun, but by and by, he will become acutely bored and demoralized. Eventually, he may become clinically depressed. History shows that leisured aristocracies tend to become decadent. This is not true of fighting aristocracies that have to struggle to maintain their power, but leisured, secure aristocracies that have no need to exert themselves usually become bored, hedonistic, and demoralized. Even though they have power, this shows that power is not enough. One must have goals toward which to exercise one's power. How often do we see this? Hunter Biden. He was handed everything. And he is hedonistic, demoralized, and obviously bored. But he's just one example. How many other times do we see this with people that end up with so much money, they, they just don't know what to do with it. And then they become bored, and then they do stupid stuff and become hedonistic. Everyone has goals, if nothing else, to obtain the physical necessities of life. Food, water, and whatever clothing and shelter are made necessary by the climate. But the leisured aristocrat obtains these things without effort, hence his boredom and demoralization. Non-attainment of important goals results in death if the goals are physically, physical necessities, and in frustration of non-attainment of the goals is compatible with survival. Consistent failure to attain goals throughout life results in defeatism, low self-esteem, or depression. Thus, in order to avoid serious psychological problems, a human being needs goals whose attainment requires effort, and he must have a reasonable rate of success in attaining his goals. So true. So true. Um, like I said, we see this. Hunter Biden. Um, how many other people do we see with these kind of issues because they don't have to work for their goals? Everything is handed to them. Um, huge issue in our society. He has points. He makes some points. Like I said, if, we keep go if I keep going with this, we will get into points where people are going to be like, whoa, no, 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 no. There are some parts where he does hit that, but everybody does. I mean, I've never met one person in my entire life that I agree with everything they say. It's like if you sit there, you know, me and Big D, we do agree on a lot. But every once in a while, we, you'll find things that we don't. Um, I mean, it's the way it is. Everyone should be able to think for themselves and have their own thoughts and goals. And if we don't have those, that's when things start going bad. So, um, like I said, this is just an intro into what it is. If you want me to keep going, I can. Um, it's quite actually fascinating to me just to read through this out loud and talk about it, the thoughts that are in my head while I'm reading this. So, um, yeah, let me know what you all think. Thank you all for listening. And I'm Brandon, and I'm out. I'll see you next week.